Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so glad you're here today. Today, my guest is Paula Allen. She is a senior vice president at TELUS Health, which is uh, part of LifeWorks, an exploratory data science and research collaboration company. Her focus is on industry-leading research around the idea of mental health and well-being in businesses. She is focused on the current and emerging issues that impact health, productivity, and related costs for businesses. And her scope includes all areas of well-being, social, physical, financial, and mental. She's done a lot of research on the impact that the pandemic had on feelings of well-being and the impact of isolation and how that is showing up in businesses today. She is so articulate. And during this interview, she tells us all the things that businesses can be doing to be able to create a workplace culture that promotes well-being, that helps their employees feel like they belong get the help that they need, feel connected to each other and to the company and the power that brings to leaders. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Paula. All right, everyone, welcome back. I have Paula Allen with me. Paula, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. So you were a global leader in and researcher in total well-being. Uh, you know, I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Can you give us a little bit of the backstory of, you know, where this passion came from and, and how you've developed your expertise over the years? My background is actually clinical. Uh, I did counseling and assessment, mostly working uh, in the neuropsych area with children. And um, I had a wonderful experience there, learned a, a, a lot and was part of a team, I think, that was extraordinary. And then I moved into working with adults. And unfortunately, I was less impressed with how adults were being treated in workplaces and, and basically with the system overall. It just seemed like when you passed a certain age, uh, the attention to what your needs are declined. So I spent a fair bit of time working with people on disability leave um, and then really wanted to get ahead of the parade. So I saw a lot of angst at the back end and spent a number of years looking at workplace training, benefits uh, management, and ultimately took on a research role to help really kind of hone in on what does and doesn't make a difference as early as possible. So that is uh, my story abbreviated. <laughs> All right. You just recently released a mental health index report. Um, and so talk a little bit about where that came from and what you found uh, when you were doing this research. Yeah, well, the, the research, the mental health index itself was because you can't really improve what you don't measure. And measures around workplace mental health are really kind of messy. A lot of them are delayed. A lot of them focus on people, only people who have used services, not the entire population. It just really didn't seem like we had a single measure that could be used across plans and organizations. So we started developing it in 2017 and launched on a monthly basis in April 2020. Uh, so a massive decline in mental health in April of 2020. And have been tracking it ever since. So the ups and the downs, and very importantly, really testing hypotheses around the things that do make a difference. So that's that's basically something that's available free of charge on our, our website at Tell Us Health, because uh, we want people to have the information to help with the insights uh, and the decisions. 
And so what was the thing that was most surprising that came out of, out of this? Well, we've had a number of things uh, that have been surprising over the past while, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple that come to mind. Um, prior to the pandemic, interestingly enough, uh, we did see a bit of a gap uh, in terms of mental health, our mental health scores based on generation. So those who are over 40 tended to have slightly higher scores. Those who are under 40 tended to have lower scores. And again, one can kind of understand that, you know, you're uh, under 40, you're establishing yourself in a career, you're starting a family, there's a lot going on, a lot of strain. Uh, but what was fascinating is at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw increase in that gap. So under 40s were impacted a lot more. And now the gap is even larger than it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So we, we really have kind of put in motion through a lot of the disruption and the isolation that we that we had over the last three years, something that is more negatively impacting those who are younger than those who are more established. And so why, what, it, what are some of the reasons? Do you, um, do you have a hypothesis or even data to show this is what's going on? Yeah, well, I have both. I have hypotheses and I do have data. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what I have data on. What what we what we've been experiencing even before the pandemic was an increase in isolation in our society. A number of years ago, the Surgeon General actually even highlighted that as a big risk for population health, not only from a mental health point of view, but also the strain it puts on you as a human being impacts you. So your cardiovascular and your immune system health is actually compromised as well. So we've been seeing this increase in isolation, and we've been seeing that impact those who are younger even more. Uh, one of the things that we found is that uh, those who are younger are one and a half times more likely to feel isolated. Uh, we've also found that the quality of friendships has deteriorated significantly to the point now where people are you know, they're not actually feeling what a friendship should feel, which is accepted and supported. So we're feeling, seeing that a lot more in, in, the, in the younger generation. And the reason why that is important is that connection, sense of belonging, not feeling isolated actually is a buffer to a lot of stress. You know, when you feel a part of a team, a tribe, a, a community, that helps you feel that you can manage, that helps you feel that you can survive. We've been able to measure it, um, you know, in terms of just even what we see in our brain as evidence of stress decline when people feel connected to other people. So we do have this as a significant phenomenon. And I think it made us more vulnerable if you were, if you didn't have that social connection during the pandemic. And also we're finding, interestingly, that younger Americans are less likely to want to go back to the same level of social contact that they had before. And why is that? That's really interesting. That's fascinating. Uh, well, I think it's fascinating as well. And I think, I think it's because it, there you start, we started on a path. Like, you know, there was higher isolation before the pandemic. There was, we, we're in a society right now where people were, are being, are born into an environment where you can quote unquote live without other people. 
And I think, quote unquote, right? You can do your job by yourself. You can, you know, and you could stay in your home. You couldn't get entertained. You couldn't, you know, it was all sorts of things. We're nobody, nobody's building bars anymore and need the community to come together. So we have all of this technology and as wonderful as it is, it has made it less necessary for us to use our soulful muscle. So think about it like when we had um, an, an industrial revolution, we had cars and we had neat machines and it made it ne less necessary for us to use physical muscle. Well, the cars and machines are great, but you not using your physical muscle is not great. Like we had to become intentional and, you know, walk more and go to the gym in order to keep healthy. The exact parallel is happening right now in terms of our mental well-being. And, you know, unless we have that awareness that even if it feels uncomfortable and it's feeling more uncomfortable now, by the way, because we were so used to it over the past three, three years, kind of making our world a little bit smaller, we got into a habit have to be intentional about getting out of that habit, even if it's not a great habit. Yep, agreed. Okay, so how does all of this translate into the workplace and the impact that it's having on leaders being able to manage, grow, scale their teams and their companies? And big impact. So one of the things that we track in the mental health index is we also track the impact on productivity of mental distraction. So emotional issues that are, you know, getting in the way of you being as productive as you otherwise would be. And we found that same phenomenon. It's increased and it's increasing on a, at a faster rate in the younger population. And sometimes that's masked. It masked in a big way in the beginning of the pandemic where people were working extra hours and continues to be masked when people actually have to put in more effort. Like you're less productive because you're more distracted. You procrastinate a little bit more, all of these things. So in order to get the job done, you have to do things that ultimately might lead you to burning out. So in, uh, you can just see the impact on the workplace. If you have people who are not able to focus as much, you're going to have impact. If you have people who are making up for that by working uh, extra hours, you're going to have risk. If you have people's well-being not in a great place, that's what the first things that get impacted are is your higher level functioning, your innovation, your creativity, your customer service, all the things that make a difference in our people powered economy. So we have CEOs all over the place talking about productivity and people are not as productive and this, that, the other. And, and a lot of them are, are looking to solve it by getting people back into the workplace. Our data says solve it by providing mental health supports to your people. Yeah. Yep, I totally agree. Um, we have a hybrid workplace here at Stone Age, and um, and you know I, I I love some of the research that I've I've read talking about that you know many leaders think that their culture is actually better than what their employees rated at. So I was like, God, I wonder if that's my company too. Um, but we do so much emphasis on well-being and connection. Um, and how do we create that connection at work? Because you know, obviously we don't know what's going on in, in people's lives outside um, of here. But you know. I know from experience and of course from the research that the stronger bonds, the stronger connections that you have at work, you know, the the better teammate you're going to be, the more engaged you're going to be. So that whole I, I remember when um when um I read Marcus Buckingham and the Gallup organization's first break all the rules, right? And they said like one of the top twelve 
you know, uh, indicators for job satisfaction is you have a friend at work. And yeah. I know so many people rolled their eyes at that. Um, but it is, it's so important to have that connection, that focus on well-being, and not just hope that when you force people back together, that that's somehow going to fix it when we're not fixing the root issue. So um, I totally agree with you that, that that's where the focus needs to be. How many lit business leaders are doing that, though? Are you seeing more and more? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I'm, I'm not one of the ones who rolled my eyes around the friend at work thing. I know that research and know it well. Um, and I, I, I do think that some, uh, some leaders are paying attention. So this is what we observe. Uh, at the beginning, and apologies for referring back to the pandemic so much, but it was the point where things started to accelerate. It's not that like they changed. It's just that the trends that we saw really accelerated. We saw leaders really paying attention, like even intuitively without the data, they knew that if their people were in a good place, the business wasn't going to be in a good place. So we, we saw a lot of that focus. Uh, we measured what that focus did. And those employers who really did prioritize employee mental health, their people did better. They didn't do things that were outside of the ordinary and in an obvious sense. They talked about mental health. They had all employee calls. The CEO was, was sometimes involved with them. They, they did training for the managers around how to deal with uh, situations and support their employees through the difficult time. Uh, they made sure that they had services such as employee assistance program and sometimes added more services. So they did some really fundamental things and their people did better. What's been happening right now is that the focus on that has really, it hasn't gone away, but it's been overshadowed by other things. And I think it really needs to come back because people are still in a vulnerable place. And it's not like when you actually think about what is necessary, it's not outside of the box. At the very least, people need to feel safe, psychologically safe. So being in an environment where you're not going to be berated, that you can speak your mind, you can be who you are, that you can feel respected. If you do not have that, if you have the opposite, then your brain is engaged with risk as opposed to work and it locks that way. So it's not good for work. It's not good for productivity. If you have that sense of belonging, as you were saying, if you have that sense of connection and shared purpose, if you have people who you like and you have you have an interest in and they like you and they have an interest, it adds to your mental well-being and adds to your productivity. If you feel that your company is innovative, creative, as opposed to stagnant, then that adds something else on top. So there is a hierarchy. And all of those things that are good for people I can draw a very straight line in terms of how they are good for business as well. So I gave a keynote um, a couple of months ago on how to build people-centric teams and companies. And um, uh, we're employee-owned, and so we teach people how to think and act like owners. And we have one of our three values is be a great teammate. And we, you know, we help people understand what that means, that responsibility, that accountability, that connection. And one of the audience members asked me, well, what happens when I'm, I'm a leader of a team and I work for a company who doesn't care about those things. What can I do? And so I'm really curious of what your answer would be. Like, okay, let's say you work in a big, huge company and it's really hard to change corporate culture to focus on well-being 
as a leader of an individual team, what can you do for your team to help increase that psychological safety, that feeling of connection and belonging? Yeah, well, the leader is very powerful in that situation because the leader can amplify or negate the culture. So you have an environment where maybe that's not overall part of the, the situation, but your employee's experience is largely going to be with you. So if you're creating that environment where people feel safe and respected and teams where there is a sense of connection and belonging, then you can help insulate whatever is going on in your culture. And the opposite is true. You can have a fabulous culture, but you know, if you as a manager don't live that, then you can actually destroy the impact as well, which is why manager training is so important to get at least that base. So I, I think if, if, you're, if the person that you're speaking to is concerned about the mismatch, it, that, that is a concern, you know, and if there's an opportunity to put up a hand and basically, you know, just, just, just amplify the conversation that we're having right now, great. But in the meantime, behave the way you would like your organization to behave, you know, be the manager that you know is important for your, your em employees. I love that. It's, you know, responsibility is the foundation for everything. Um, I used to think it was accountability, but accountability is about other people, right? But it's about responsibility and you can choose to choose uh, every single day. You do choose to choose every single day. And so, you know, how you want to lead in your team, um, despite the circumstances, despite the unknown is a really important um, aspect of leadership. And I teach my, all of my leaders here that 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 responsibility doesn't come from anybody else, right? That only comes in from with you. And so if you decide you want to be a leader of a really healthy team who builds those connections that, you know, that inspires creativity and makes people feel like they belong, you, you can choose to do that despite what your corporate culture is. But responsibility is such a key in all of this. And I don't think it's talked about enough um in in leadership and the responsibility that we have for our teams and our companies how do you see responsibility playing into all of this well i mean i agree completely and absolutely with everything that you said i mean if you are if you as a manager are responsible for the, the really the, the well-being and the and the health of your team and when i say well-being it's just making sure that your team is functioning in the best way so managers paying attention to their behavior is one thing. There's one aspect that, that I'll add, though, is almost every manager at some point in their career is going to have an employee who is struggling, you know, and, and struggling, you know, like perhaps because of a mental health issue. You see that behavior change. You, you sort of know in your gut that something is wrong. And, and part of the responsibility is just to have a human response. Like if we... If we saw somebody fall off a ladder or get hit by a car, we wouldn't walk away. Like you, you go to the person, you make sure, you know, ask them that you show that you care more than anything else and make sure that somebody is available to help them. If you're not a physician, you would make sure that they have access to that help, but you would show that you care. You wouldn't turn your back. Many of us turn our back when we see somebody struggling and we feel it's because of an emotional issue. And we do that because we've learned over the years to be scared of mental health and to say, oh, I'm, I don't want to disrupt that person. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to this, that, and the other. The main thing is to be a human being. If you see somebody is, is struggling, you can say, you know, Kate, John, Barry, whoever, you know, I just noticed 
a change. This is the way things used to be. This is the way it is, is now, and I'm concerned. So just even being objective, you're not saying, I think you might have an alcohol problem, or I think you might be depressed. You're just seeing that there's a change. You know, you're, you're being respectful because you're not making assumptions. But the other part of that sentence is I'm concerned. I care. You know, do you want to talk? Is there anything that I, I, I can do? And then just listen. You don't have to be the fixer. You're not a therapist likely. So you're not going to be able to fix. Even a therapist isn't going to be able to fix something in, in a five-minute conversation. You just want to show the person that they are not alone. And if you have an EAP in your company, give them that information so they can take the next step. But the main thing is don't ignore and make sure that people don't feel alone. That's all. So we do train managers to have these conversations. But if you don't have the benefit of that training, try to remember just, you know, if you're a human being with another human being, what you would do if you saw a physical ailment, we probably have more wisdom than we give ourselves credit for in terms of handling these situations. Yeah, I know. I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, they, they get uncomfortable in emotional situations. And so, right, like what happens when a person starts crying? What do I do? Well, you hand them a tissue. <laughs> right? Exactly. Not everybody exactly. has the, the experience or the comfort level of being able to do that. So they do avoid it. So, um, yeah, it's a real challenge um, uh, if you have a leader who you know, who hasn't gone through those experiences and doesn't have the comfort comfort level with dealing with emotional responses. So what would you do if, if like, if a leader is listening here, who's like, yeah, no, you know, people should just leave their stuff at home. I don't want anybody crying in my office. You know, is there something that you could, that, you know, besides just, you know, human response, be human, have a, a response that invokes humanity. Is there any advice that you have for one of those leaders to be able to like, help themselves get more comfortable in those emotional situations? Well, a lot of the times we're uncomfortable because we have this desire to fix the situation. You know, I don't know how to fix it, so I don't want to have the conversation. If you remove that from your thinking, then you'll be a lot more comfortable. Uh, and the, the whole point around, you know, people should leave their, their stuff at home, probably they tried. Yeah. You know, almost everybody tries. Sometimes it just gets overwhelming. Like we don't become another human being when we come into, into, into the workplace. And if it just so happens that there is that spillover, think about the opposite. If you handle this in a way that makes that person feel rejected or that you're angry with them or that you couldn't care, that's pretty rough. So, you know, all, again, the, the bar is relatively low on what, makes a difference you don't have to six you have to just show that you care and try to make sure of showing showing that you care that you're not rejecting that person they, that they are not alone i love that such great advice okay now different situation right where man many people are managing remote teams and it's hard to tell that there's something that's going on with an employee so you might not get as a leader you might not get those um those warning signs that, that something's happening and so what are some things that 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 leaders or managers should be looking at to be able to say hey there's something that's off with this person um so they can recognize it sooner and step in to help 
Well, there's a there's a, a a list of few things, but you know, really at the end of the day, um, not everybody's going to remember all those things or write them down. I think you have the main thing to remember is to listen to your gut, uh, because even in a virtual environment, there are there are things that show themselves. Um, somebody who has always been on camera and no longer feels comfortable being on camera, uh, the voice of a person. There's so much you can pick up in terms of strain. You know, even the, the uh, person might have had a certain ampl- uh, amplitude in terms of when they're talking, and all of a sudden, voice is very low. You could barely hear them. Um, you know, the, any that kind of change uh, changes in work and work quality. You know, things being on uh, more errors on on not on time. The main thing you're looking for is a change. Yeah. And when we have that change, usually there's something that comes up and says, well, that change is, is explainable because that person has a big project and whatever, whatever. Or a change, I don't understand that change. I think that something might be wrong. So just paying attention to your interactions and paying attention to that little voice in the, in the back, that's, that is helpful. Things can show themselves in all sorts of ways. You know, you can have people who are more angry than they were before, more sensitive to stress. You can also have people who are becoming obsessively perfectionistic. You can have uh, people who need to take more time away and they're withdrawing more. You know, there's all sorts of ways that we show that we're under strain and under under duress as human beings. So that it's hard to actually diagnose the main thing that the manager should be paying attention to is a change. Yep. I love that. That's great. Okay. I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing at LifeWorks and, and the mental health index and the mental health score. So could you describe a little bit of the work that you do and how the mental health score works? Yeah. What we did at, between 2017 and 19 is we developed the index. We have a whole bunch of questions, 300. We, we whittled it down so it's, it's at a short and manageable right now, validated it and tested it. And what we do is we send a poll out to a group of working individuals. Mental health index is only for people who are working currently. We send that poll out and we ask them on a monthly basis how they are doing. So certain things that kind of reflect your mental state, you know, your experience of anxiety, depression, isolation, optimism, a number of things. Uh, we ask them where they are so we can we can tell whether things are getting better or getting worse. And the second part of the mental health index is where we're looking at, you know, different things that do make a difference. Like how confident people feel about coping in different situations, what their work experience is like, uh, the main thing that is troubling them right now. Uh, we looked deep with parents as well, because we're finding that parents, their scores were a lot lower than non-parents over this past while. So we were looking at their experience in terms of what was happening with their children. So the first part is just the score. And the second part gives us a little bit more color in terms of what's going on. And so how would a company like mine use, uh, you know, use the mental health index and, and the scoring system? Uh, you, you can use it in uh, two ways. We publish the index on a monthly basis and it's available free of charge, no paywall or anything of that sort uh, on the TELUS Health website. So T-E-L-U-S Health. 
and it's on our, our website. So if you type into a search engine, tell us health, mental health index, it'll come right, right to you. Uh, so you can download it for your country. We do it in a number of different countries. Uh, and you will also see the scores for your industry. So that'll give you a sense in terms of some of those things that will help us all understand mental health and how at risk the population is right now, how much of a call to action there is. Most people find the most valuable thing, the description of what makes a difference because that can help you with decision-making. So that's one way to use the report. Uh, the other way is if you wish, you can contact us at Talis Health and many organizations that have actually done that index for their own employees. So you can get a score on exactly how your own employees are doing and what makes or makes a difference for them. So those are the two ways. Great. And what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have? about focusing on on well-being um, or you know the importance of this uh, in a culture in a workplace I think I think the biggest misconception is um, that if you focus on employee mental health and well-being somehow you're going to have a soft and unproductive workplace um, and that is the exact opposite you know when you focus on mental health and well-being you're giving people the energy, the fuel, the ability to live up to sometimes challenging accountabilities because, you know, there are accountabilities in life. So we're not going to get away from that. There is responsibility that you have as an employee. There are ups and downs in every business and certain, uh, certain job types are, are demanding. So, you know, you're helping people be the best that they can be in the situation that they have. The other thing is, you know, in terms of a workplace, a workplace that is safe, a workplace that is collaborative, a workplace that that uh, that builds a sense of belonging, that is a workplace that is higher functioning. You know, you just making people feel berated. You know, making people feel scared. You're going to get errors. You're going to get turnover. You're not going to get the best out of people. People are just going to try to mask what's going on, and then you'll have a false and unsustainable type of productivity. So, you know, if, if I wanted a high-performing workplace, I would focus 100% on this as one of the levers to get there. I love it. And it's so true. And especially with where everything is going in terms of talent demand, we have a huge talent shortage uh, in, you know, across the globe, but certainly here in the U.S., um, people, you know, we're, businesses are hit really hard with it. And this is going to be such a differentiator is to have a, a culture that where, pe where people love coming to work, where they enjoy their teammates, where they feel safe, where they feel connected, where they feel like they belong. And it's a competitive advantage. I wrote an article um, in Forbes a couple of months ago that said how to use your culture as a competitive advantage because when you are going to be out there with everybody else trying to attract and retain talent that you need to grow your business it's going you have to it has to be a great place to work you cannot just you know throw benefits at people um, and yeah. I don't think you can certainly expect people to come in and work hardcore hours um, with no loyalty um, and care from the company. So I think businesses who aren't focusing on belonging, well-being, and using their cu culture as a competitive advantage are going to be left behind in the, the drive to attract talent. 
Without question, a hundred percent. And and with the, the younger generation as well, that 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 advantage or disadvantage is gonna be even more acute. I mean, I think we've gotten to a point where we realize that there is no work life separation. There isn't. Your work is a part of your life. Your work shapes who you are as much as your personal life does. You can't get away from it because it is so many hours of your time. So people are making choices around their work as opposed to saying, okay, I'm just going to cut off my needs. And we're actually finding that exact point that you mentioned. 31 to 35%, depending on the industry, of those under 40 would prefer an organization that supports their mental health and well-being over 10% more salary. It's 22% for those who are older. So it's still there, but it's, it's less intense than those who are younger. Well, I will tell you, coming from, you know, my before coming to Stone Age and, and running this company, which has been a long time now, but I was one of those people that was like, my job is my job. I'm just a paycheck player. And then I have my other, my life. And then now that I've matured and I've also seen what it's like to work in an organization, you know, to lead an organization who really truly prioritize their employees. I've fallen in love with what I do so much. And so I agree with you. There is no separation, right? My work is a significant part of my life, but I love what I do. So it enriches my life. It is fulfilling. It's interesting. It's challenging. You know, are there times that are really tough and I struggle? Absolutely. But because I feel connected. I have strong mental health. I feel like I belong here because I'm supported by my board of directors, because we've built this amazing team that I get to come into every day. Like my job is so fulfilling. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And I want that for every single one of my employees, because I know my loyalty to this company. I know my engagement to this company, what I give to this company is really, really powerful, but it would not be there if I didn't feel safe, like I belong, like it is a fulfilling and meaningful part of my life. So boy, you know, and leaders have that a lot of leaders have that. And why shouldn't their employees have that, right? They have more autonomy to make decisions and, and have more control over their work. So, you know, they might be more happier in those roles. Why wouldn't they want that for their employees? And there is a big gap between you know, leadership and, and individual contributors and in, in that feeling of like, oh, yeah, I'm really satisfied with my career. Everything that you said is so well said. I mean, would any leader stand up and logically say, like, I want to make sure that my workplace is as terrible as it possibly can be. I want to make sure that people come in and feel drained. I want to make sure that they have virtually no support and they're terrified in every single move. Like, you know, sometimes people behave in a way, but they don't articulate what that behavior is. But which you, it doesn't make sense for you to to have that as an objective. Well, if it doesn't, then the opposite really should be your objective. I love that. That's such a great way to put it. Those words would never come out of any leader's mouth, <laughs> but they do. They they create cultures that are like that. Um, that's really well put. All right, I have two last questions before we wrap things up. Um, so the first one, the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. Um, in context of everything that we've been talking about today, um, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? Reflect Forward to me uh, is a beautiful juxtaposition of words. You know, I think we only move forward if we reflect on what's happening right now. I believe completely that people have to be realistic, eyes open, have information, 
And that's the only way that you will have the tools to be progressive, the tools to move forward and the, the, the thinking in order to be optimistic. If you hide that you're gonna, you're gonna end up crashing a little bit. If you reflect and you're honest, you will move forward. I love that. Thank you. All right. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be the very best at what they do, what would that be? Create the environment that you want for yourself. It's so simple. <laughs> Not always easy, but so simple. <laughs> well, you know, the things that are simple are sometimes the things that we ignore. So I was about to add four or five sentences on top of that. And then I just said, no, at the end of the day, you know, you as a leader, you have power to shape an environment. You know, if you, if you want to be in an environment that if you lead, if you are honest with yourself, if you reflect about what it is that makes you your best, you know, whether it's in your past or your present or whatever it is, you have the insight to understand the things that drive human behavior. People probably can tell you the best and worst job experience that they had. Well, think about that a little bit. What made that good one? Good. How productive were you when you were in that environment compared to the other one? So you have that knowledge, use it, and then try to create it. And then you're in a good place. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, Paula, I'll include all this in the show notes, but what are those, how, what's the best way to find you um, to, to learn more about what you're doing? Obviously, you, you put the website in earlier. I'll include that as well. But you know, where, would you, where would you direct people? So um, definitely the Tell Us Health uh, website uh, that has a number of pieces of good information, the Mental Health Index, but we also have other research briefs where, you know, we provide services to help employers support their employees. But as part of that, we also provide knowledge and insights to help employers make good decisions. Uh, and uh, anyone is more than free to connect or follow me, I'll follow Alan on LinkedIn. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your expertise with me today. This was uh, a fabulous interview near and dear to my heart. And, um, and I hope every leader listens to it because you are spot on in all your advice. Well, thanks for the great opportunity for this conversation. It was lovely meeting you. Perfect. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on that interview. That was fascinating and very, very important work. We need to amplify this type of research because it matters. All right. With that, I will leave you until next week. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And if you like this podcast, please like it, subscribe to it, write a review, share it with a friend. It helps with algorithms and it shares very interesting stories like Paula's. The world needs to hear. Thanks so much. See you next week.